Hello and welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. I am Kate Fisher. This podcast gives blood product recipients a platform to tell their stories, to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. This podcast aims to bridge the gap of anonymity between Australian blood donors and their recipients. If you have ever been a blood donor, you could have been the one to save the life of the guests that we profile here on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. We are dropping this bonus episode today to mark the International Day of People with Disability. Today's guest is Queensland 2021 Australian of the Year, Dr. Dinesh Palipana. Dinesh is a doctor, lawyer, scientist, inclusivity and disability advocate. He is also quadriplegic. Dinesh was midway through his medical degree when he was in a car accident that could have taken his life. While he does not remember receiving blood products during his treatment, he suspects that he might have. And having blood products on hand would certainly have been a safety net to allow for surgical procedures that he underwent. Dinesh and I recently met on a discussion panel as we helped launch the new organisation Disability Queensland. And once I met him, I had to bring him in on the Milkshakes for Mali community to share this incredible story and his experiences of using blood products to save his patients. Here is the incredible Dr. Dinesh Palapana. <laughs> All right, let's jump straight in. Um, so, Dinesh, welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Um, just watching your social media accounts makes me feel exhausted seeing all the amazing advocacy work that you do. Um, do you ever get time to actually sleep? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't sleep much, actually. I mean, <laughs> I sleep so poorly anyway, yeah. so I figure if I'm going to sleep poorly, I may as well... Uh, be productive but you know actually the thing is um i do take the occasional day where i'll just sleep all day long mm-hmm. or at least most of the day so uh i, I do recharge like yeah. that but um i think the thing for me is um i became so all too painfully aware that life is so fleeting absolutely tomorrow yeah, yeah right mm-hmm. tomorrow is not guaranteed so um, let's try and make the most of today. Yeah. Well, today is a very special day. Um, we're dropping a bonus episode of the podcast um, as it's the International Day for People with Disability, which you're an ambassador for. Um, so thank you so much for all the work that you do to raise awareness. In the years to come, what would you like the legacy of your advocacy work to be? Wow. That is a massive question. Um <laughs> You know, I, I would really love to see the day where we don't need to have these conversations. Yeah. Like, I would love to see the day where we don't need the International Day of People with Disabilities. Mm-hmm. I would just love to see the day where we don't need to have um, all these conversations mm-hmm. and it's just an accepted, normal thing. Yeah. I would love to see the day where um, people with disability don't face all the challenges that they do. I'd love to see the day where their families can uh, be happy and comfortable knowing that they'll all have a secure and happy future. 
future. Mm. So thank you for all the work that you do that will hopefully make that possible for our children. Um, We've spoken before, we have three children with disabilities. So the way that you're opening up the world for them is just invaluable. Um, And I like to say with the advocacy work that I do that what I'm trying to do by raising awareness is to make myself redundant. And that's what I would like my legacy to be, that I don't need to do this anymore. So I really hope the same for you. Um, Now, as you know, this podcast tells the survival stories of blood product recipients. And when I asked you to be a guest, I did so with the assumption that having been involved in your car accident and sustaining such horrific injuries, that you would have needed some blood, but it seems that this wasn't the case. Um, Can you tell me just a little bit about your accident, just briefly? Yeah, of course. I mean, to my knowledge, I didn't receive any blood products, but I'll I'll tell you an interesting thing about that in a minute. Yeah, great. I had a car accident on the 31st of January, 2010. Mm-hmm. It was around 8, 8.30 p.m. I was driving along uh, the Gateway Motorway in Brisbane and my car aquaplaned, we think, mm-hmm. or um, ran over some oil or something and it had a rollover and I uh, had a spinal cord injury as a result. Mm-hmm. So I broke my neck essentially and I lost all function below the chest and my fingers and half of my arms as well. Uh, and I ended up in the hospital. So interestingly, you asked me if I received any blood products. And the answer to that is, I don't know mm-hmm. what I received. Yeah, sure. I don't know any of the medical things that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I learned something really important about medicine in that journey is that... Uh, when I was in the ambulance, there was a emergency physician who mm-hmm. um, I actually knew because he lectured me. He just happened to be there. And um, he, I knew that he had all the skills and he was talented and whatever else. But what I remember the most about that experience is not what he did or what he gave me or what procedures, but the way he made me feel yeah. and what he told me. So I don't think people remember how you make them feel. They might not remember what you do for them specifically, mm. but they'll remember how you feel. Yeah. And so I can't really remember anything. Mm. As the mother of particularly Marley, who has, you know, we have been told to say goodbye to her a few times now because doctors aren't expecting her to make it through the night. Um, that just resonates so much with me and so much with our journey. And some of the most incredible memories that we've got from Marley's journey are in horrible situations, but they have been with incredible people that have just made her journey phenomenal. So I really feel that, um, I guess, paediatric cases are particularly important because you're not just reassuring the child, but you're reassuring really stressed out parents as well. So I think anyone that works in peds is just phenomenal to meet people in that moment of vulnerability and yeah carry them through with the most important thing in the world to them which is their children um one of my follow-up questions was um you're saying you're not sure if you have blood product but is it reasonable to assume that having blood product available was really important while some of your injuries were being treated yes i mean uh blood is a life-saving thing Mm -hmm. so if i if i had a significant bleed which I very, very well could have, yeah. um, considering the injuries that I had. Uh, it can save a life. Mm. The interesting thing is today, um, 
in as a doctor in the emergency department, I administer or um, prescribe blood products all the time mm. to patients, and I know how critical it is to have it available. Um, so you've lived part of your life without a disability and then sustained a spinal cord injury, which resulted in quadriplegia. Um, what's the biggest impact that your disability has had on your life? So it's easy for me to talk about uh, the negative things, mm-hmm. like, or I guess things that are perceived to be negative, which yeah. is the inability to walk, the inability to use my fingers. And... Uh, even hidden things like the uh, reduced lung capacity, the inability to regulate my temperature and blood pressure and all those things and all the social mm-hmm. things that go with it as well. So I had no idea what a person with a disability lives with before yeah. the injury. None. Yeah. No idea. So it was a real eye-opener for me. Um, and the first day it happened, the first week it happened, the first month it happened, first six months, 12 months, or even probably up to two years, I would have done anything to have my old life back. Mm. Um, But, you know, today, 11 years down the track, if someone came up to me and said, I can have a time machine, and I'll turn back time for you, and you will not have a spinal cord injury, I would find it very difficult to say, okay, let's do it because mm. I'm here. I mean, I'm here talking to you now, which is yeah. a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just came from our spinal cord injury research lab where we're doing spinal cord injury research, which might wow. change what spinal cord injury means to people. So how can I take all these things back? Mm. So I don't, I don't think, I think a lot of positive things have come out of it. I think I'm a better person. Yeah, I feel like I appreciate life more. I feel like I appreciate my mom more. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, I appreciate Australia more. So I think a lot of good things have come. Mm-hmm. It's been fascinating interviewing people for the podcast that that has been such a strong theme that has come out from nearly every single person that we have spoken to. Um people are just so grateful for what comes afterwards. And I think until you face your own, you know, morbidity and possible mortality in a way like that, that you might need some blood products or, you know, a difficult life event like that, it just changes your perspective on so many things. And so much of the focus of this podcast isn't on the trauma that people experience that required the blood product. It's all the amazing things that have come after that. And whether it is, you know, falling in love or watching your kids grow up or, you know, the contributions that you can make to you in your profession or to your community. And that was why we just had to have you as a guest on this podcast, because you embody so much of that. Um, and I've heard you speak previously about saying that you wouldn't change the accident. And if someone could give you, you know, the ability to walk again or whatever, you wouldn't take that. But the time that you had with your depression and your mental health challenges, you found that more debilitating as a disability than your physical disability. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So I, um, I went to law school before I had, uh, before I had studied medicine. So I finished a degree in law mm-hmm. and, uh, in law school, I became depressed. And when I say that a lot of people laugh because they they, uh, 
like, ah, of course you did. You were in law school. Look, I don't want to laugh, but I've got half a law degree and I opted out midway through for a very similar reason and ended up as a sex therapist and now I'm a podcaster. So I did have a little giggle, not about the depression, but about understanding (laughs) the joke that people would make about doing a law degree in the depression. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, it's... uh... I mean, today I really appreciate the law degree because mm-hmm. it gives me the ability to do so many things. But those days I didn't really, you know, I didn't really see it for what it was. But nonetheless, um, I was so depressed. I was in the pits of depression. Right now, I'm talking to you. Like I said, I'm sitting in my car, mm-hmm. looking out into the world, and I can see trees and they're green and the sun is shining on them and it's beautiful i can feel the warmth mm-hmm. i can feel the world mm-hmm. and when i was going through depression i didn't i didn't see that like everything was just gray and flat mm-hmm. and lifeless and i was anxious all the time so i had anxiety disorder I had panic attacks all the time and my world was so dark my world was so scary and sad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, I disconnected from the world. I disconnected from the community. I disconnected from society. I had trouble with my relationship, university, workplace. Everything suffered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I became a very withdrawn person. My world shrank. But after the spinal cord injury, again, I'm chatting to you mm-hmm. and my world feels so much brighter and alive and vibrant. I feel mm-hmm. connected. I feel like um, I, I can make a contribution to this society. And so when I reflect on those two experiences, I think depression is actually an incredibly debilitating thing. Mm-hmm. And it's for me, it was far more paralyzing than the spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was flipping about talking about depression before and I didn't mean it that way at all. I have experienced um, PTSD from a traumatic medical event that I had Um, and when you were just talking then about looking out and seeing the trees and the world went from grey to colourful, I, when I started medication and really accepted where I was with my mental health um, and got myself some really good support, I remember saying to my husband one day that it just felt like spring and it was such a similar thing when you come out of that darkness and that horrible experience of winter and we lived in Canberra so winters were pretty rough and then you know you can smell flowers and warmth comes back into your body and you know all of those things about spring and it's there's the energy and there's the new life of spring that's how it felt to me when I started accessing appropriate support Um, and I have experienced disability and some chronic pain stuff as well and my mental health stuff has been far more debilitating than any of that has been so I yeah thank you so much for speaking out about it because I think you know people on their darkest days even if they don't go in to be blood donors if they hear this podcast and they hear your story and they look at what you've been able to go on to achieve after those horrible dark days um, it will be worthwhile doing this episode just for that um no okay all I can say is keep going yeah thank you (laughs) it's pretty special we're very proud of this project um and you realize what your capacity is when your child's life's on the line you know people say to me quite often we don't know how you can talk about you know saying goodbye to your daughter and thinking she wasn't going to see the light of another day and how can you you know tell your family story in public and not 
you know, be a sobbing mess all the time and I couldn't do what you do, so much of that. But if you had a child who was dependent on people donating plasma because that's what preserves her life and that's what saves her life when she relapses and you had a tool to be able to reach people to increase blood donors, then I think any of us would do that for someone that we love. So thank you for supporting us in that journey. Um, Once you realised the extent of your injuries, did you consider pursuing a different career, especially given that you did have a law degree under your belt? So it's not like you didn't have other opportunities that you could pursue professionally. Um, And apart from the depression experience um, and seeing life a little bit differently, what else is it that makes you so passionate about practising medicine? Yeah, I've got a bunch of reasons for that. Mm. So uh, the answer is no. I never, never, not once wanted to do anything else. Um, there were times in the journey where I, was, I thought, okay, this is really scary mm. and it's going to be hard and I don't know if I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were times when I like wavered a little bit when I was like, oh, God, maybe I should, maybe I should find something else to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not once did I lose this dream of wanting to be a doctor? And there's a couple of reasons for mm-hmm. that. Like I was telling you that um, my world shrunk when mm-hmm. I was going through the depression. Yeah. But my world changed when I came out of it. Mm-hmm. And that had a really deep impact on me. And there's this philosophy by changing, uh, by helping one person, you might change the world, but you'll change the world for them. Mm-hmm. And I feel medicine, being a doctor is my big call being able to do that um, so I love it and um, the other thing is you were talking about giving blood mm. and uh, finding parents to give blood giving giving is the most important thing and giving is the most important ingredient of happiness mm, I agree today in this world we are we can be so inward looking. And I think that's a part of the reason why I became depressed because I was so inward looking. But when we start to look outwards and when we start to think about what we can do for our neighbor, our friend, uh, the stranger on the other side of the world, for Mm. our people, when we think about giving, that's where we find true happiness. And actually in an ironic way, it's a bit selfish to be so giving because it's a way that you find happiness. Uh, so for me, like all these things that I get to do today, they, they play a big part in me being happy Mm. and I love that. So, um, yeah, medicine just ticks all the boxes. It's challenging. It allows me to give, allows me to change worlds. Um, so it's a pretty cool job. Yeah, we've, you know, come across some of the most incredible medical professionals and most incredible minds um, in the time that we've been interacting with the medical system. You know, we're the only family in the world that have got the three genetic types of this rare form of diabetes that we've got. Four people in one family get diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. There's not many families in the world that look like ours. We haven't found another one. Um, So we're always, and then, you know, a rare seronegative autoimmune encephalitis. There's samples of Marley's cerebral spinal fluid all over the world in different labs all over the world trying to find, you know, a solution for her rather than literally just trying to keep her head above water because we just try to keep her stable at the moment, but there's no cure for what's going on. Um, And so you never want to be 
the interesting family that walks into a waiting room, but it's just been phenomenal to watch the way that doctors have interacted with each other and problem solved and just such phenomenal individuals that just give so much of themselves. Um, But I'm going to give a shout out to nurses as well, because some of the nurses that we have interacted with across our time, like how they know how to problem solve and manage people. And, you know, they do so much of the hard work on the floor. And yeah, we always give little shout outs to nurses as well. We're just so grateful to medical professionals for what they do. Yeah, it's literally kept our family together. Um, So much parallel what you were just talking about as well in our two stories. You know, you've experienced the trauma and I've very much walked alongside Marley throughout it. And one of the things that we really want to come through um, in our advocacy work and through this podcast is that concept of post-traumatic growth. Now, having experienced post-traumatic stress disorder, I had, you know, a clinical diagnosis of that, Um, I'm in no way downplaying the seriousness of that. But I came to a point in my journey where I was able to choose where, like what my next steps were. And so much of what you said has just made, yeah, I can just identify with so much of it. And it has been through that giving and through that creation of community and through helping other people. And we really hope that this podcast becomes more than just an awareness raising tool and, you know, creates a space that people can share in the community of having been to the point where they think that, you know, someone that they love might not make it through another day and that the people that donate can listen to any of our episodes Um, and wonder if they were the person that saved that person's life that's being profiled in our episodes each week. Um, And hopefully that also encourages some new people to donate. So, Yeah, I I love that. Yeah, thank you. Um, And I love this concept of post-traumatic growth. Yeah. Um, You know, everyone's journey is a world within itself and universe within itself. Yeah. But I think um, one of my friends... Uh, she hung up the poem Invictus uh, mm. by my bedside. Yeah. So it was pinned to my curtain when I was in the hospital and I saw it day and night. But uh, it's a, Invictus means um, undefeated mm-hmm. or invincible. And uh, in this, the poet talks about having an unconquerable soul when mm. the going gets dark. And uh, he said that under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloody, but unbowed. And he says that uh, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So that poem just taught me that you just need to be unconquerable Mm -hmm. in your resolve and know that you can't, you just won't bow down. And uh, moving on from that, the thing I think about is that you cannot make a sword without beating steel in the fire. Yeah. So you just got to aim to become the sword Mm. at the end of all your fire. Oh, I've got goosebumps all over my body. That is really powerful. Thank you. Um, I describe Marley quite often, particularly when she is really sick, to be as fragile as she is fierce. And there's no doubt in my mind that there's just something special about her that means she's just got more things to do in this world that she just hasn't done yet because she shouldn't still be here and she just keeps 
just fighting and plodding away and we had dance concert on the weekend and our precious little girl got out there and she did her ballet and she did her jazz. Um, after she did her jazz routine, um, she was backstage with Campbell, her younger brother, who's nine, and Campbell noticed that her speech had started to slur a little bit. And so he went and grabbed one of the dance teachers and said, she needs to go to mum right now. She's about to have a seizure. The dance teacher said to Campbell, um, that's okay, mate. You're about to do your hip hop, hip hop routine. You stay out the back here. We'll take Marley out to mum and dad. And he was just like, no, you won't. I'm coming with my sister because you don't know what to do if she has a seizure. I've seen her have lots of seizures. And they were like, mate, you're going to miss your routine that you've been practicing for all year. He's like, I don't care. I don't care at all. What I, I don't need to do my hip hop routine, but I do need to know that my sister is safe. And I think it's just that passion and that, you know, fury and fierceness that our family has developed about doing whatever it is to keep everyone together. Um, and it's amazing how seeing that can filter through so many other parts of your family and your life and your community and really set what those priorities are. Um, and he did get on stage. They had to hold the lights down for a little while and we heard him run on stage and then he absolutely rocked his hip hop routine. So <laughs> all ended well in the oh, end. Goodness. And then Marley did have quite a significant seizure in my arms in the crowd, but that was fine. We managed to, we can now just, you know, manage that without too many people even noticing. So that's good. Madaz is in the hip pocket at all times. So we were all good. Nice. <laughs> How our life has changed. <laughs> Um, can you tell me some stories, Dee identified, obviously, about some of the times that you've used blood product to save your patients' lives? Um, trauma is a big one because, mm -hmm. well, any kind of trauma really, uh, that's significant enough to cause blood loss. Mm -hmm. So this is a time-critical thing uh, where someone is bleeding out either externally or to an internal um, cavity somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, in the emergency department, in a trauma setting where someone is critically ill and where someone is unstable mm -hmm. because they are losing blood, uh, there have been many instances where we give blood to uh, keep them alive mm -hmm. in, that, in that trauma setting until that bleeding can be stopped. Mm -hmm. um, the end goal of a trauma is to find the bleeding and stop the bleeding. Yep. But until that is done, it is blood products that will keep them alive. Mm. So that's, you know, we see that all the time in our ED. It's the busiest in the country for yeah. our work. And uh, that's the Gold Coast. Also, is that right? Yeah. Yep. It's the Gold Coast. Yeah. We also use blood subacutely where someone might have had a bleed that's been going on for days to weeks mm -hmm. and it's starting to affect their function and their end organs. And in those cases, we give blood as well, and uh, it helps prevent further damage. It helps prevent deterioration. It helps them having a critical event, mm -hmm. and uh, it brings them back to uh, normal or near normal function. So blood is so important, and I think it's one of the easiest ways to give something back that will actually save a life. Mm. And how reassuring for you to know when you, you know, are working in an ED department that you've got that available because it never ceases to amaze me, you know, we've spent a lot of time in intensive care and, you know, resus units in ED and all sorts of things that you haven't got a clue what is going to come through those doors when you start a shift. And just the way that people mobilise and 
just fit around whatever situation comes through that door and problem solve in those moments. I just find it absolutely fascinating and astounding. So to know that you've always got that blood product on hand must be so reassuring. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like to know that we have access to that Mm -hmm. um, is incredible. And you're right, actually, we have incredible people, nurses, doctors, radiographers, pharmacists, uh, ward staff, Mm. uh, environmental services staff, admin officers, all these people mobilize and we all trust each other Mm. when someone who's critically ill comes in. And uh, that's one of the things that I love the most about uh, what we get to do because it's such a deeply human activity Mm. full of trust that's uh, doing something to keep someone alive. Yeah. All right, we're going to change tack a little bit. Um, We met a few weeks ago on a discussion panel for the launch of Disability Queensland. And what struck me so much about you was your passion and support for parents and carers. Um, What draws you to this cause? Uh, My mum. Yeah. (laughs) My mum is, she is the most amazing human I know. Mm. She is um just so patient she's so strong she's so she has this perseverance and uh kindness you know regardless of how frustrated i got Mm. whatever i I just don't think there's a stronger force in the universe than a mother's love (laughs) i can agree with that (laughs) yep (laughs) um and she's just taught me so much about life she actually she taught me how to drive mm-hmm. she taught me how to shave she taught me how to open a bank account she taught me how to do all these things like she equipped me uh with everything that i need for life but mm-hmm. she also equipped me with a really important thing which is uh belief yeah you know she always taught me to believe and to believe that anything's possible mm-hmm. so my mom um is the single most important person um who shaped my life and Whenever I see a mom anywhere in the world, I have a real massive soft spot uh, because of my own mom. Mm. Uh, Mums are pretty cool. And that draws me in beautifully to the next question as well. We have three children with various physical and neurodevelopmental disabilities. Um, I'm interested in what the best piece of advice that you were given when you were newly diagnosed with your disability, um, because I would like to steal that piece of advice and use it to support my children. Don't listen to anyone. (laughs) uh, You know, how, how can, how can we let someone else dictate what our life should look like Mm. or how, how we're going to be? Or what we're going to do at the end of it. Because I can guarantee it, 10 years down the track, if you listen to someone um, say that you can't do something or you're not good enough or mm-hmm. whatever, they're not going to be around. Yeah. And But you're going to be around mm-hmm. and you're going to be holding the bill of the life that you've had for the 10 years or 20 years or 30 years since when you decided to listen to that person. So there are plenty of naysayers mm-hmm. in the world. But we need people to keep going. We need people who believe. We need people uh, that will fight against all odds. And if we have more of those people, our world will change for the better. 
and uh, I, I, I just want to see, I want to see that. I want to see people achieve their dreams, and I want to see people beat the odds, and I want to see people prove the naysayers wrong. Mm. So don't listen. Uh, it's your life, and you just need to, you need to shape it the way you want it to be. Mm. I think that's a beautiful place to wrap up our interview today. Um, we say quite often that one of the challenges that we have in raising children with various disabilities is that you can't be what you can't see. Um, and you are just paving the way for showing so many people with not just with disability, but with, with other challenges in their life that you know, you can be anything and you might have to do things a little bit differently or take a slightly different course to achieve those dreams, but there's nothing in the world that can't be achieved. So thank you so much for the impact that you have. Um, yeah, I just can't thank you enough for being here and doing this episode today. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing, Payne, and thank you for being an amazing mom. <laughs> it's so, so important. <laughs> thank you. That episode was just so special. Um, meeting Dinesh earlier this year, I just had to have him on the podcast and I'm so grateful that he is now part of the Milkshakes for Mali community with us. Um, just what an outstanding example of a wonderful human. Um, I'm just so grateful for him giving his time to be here with us today and um, to help us to raise awareness about the importance of blood donation. Nothing feels more Australian, like the modern demonstration of mateship, than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was doctor and disability advocate, Dr Dinesh Palapani. Marley's dad and my lovely husband, Jeff Fisher, did the audio production for this episode. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au and we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood Team Tally. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and share this episode with a friend and join our community of blood donors and recipients on the Milkshakes for Mali Instagram page. Um, our Facebook page is down at the moment because we have been hacked. Um, so it is currently disabled, but you can easily find us on Instagram. You will always find additional content on the guests that we profile each week. And as always, I will leave the final word to Mali herself. Thank you for my prize, Mark.